Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Lost in Science for another week where we talk half an hour about all things science. My name is Claire and today I'm going to be talking a little bit about an element that doesn't get a lot of attention. It starts with M. It's actually in the top five most utilised metals in the world, but not many people know about it. So I'm just going to leave you hanging there about what it is and what it's all about. So would this be part of the In Your Element series, the occasional series from Lost in Science? Absolutely. How about you, Chris? Well, I am going to be talking about uh, genetically modified organisms and, you know, their their safety and thereof. There was a report last week released by the National Academy of Sciences in the United States where that's a big 400-page document where they try to do an independent assessment of the evidence around um, genetically modified organisms. So I'm going to be looking at what that said and we'll have a bit of a, a talk, I'm sure, because you've probably all got opinions. Absolutely. And this doesn't have anything to do with Craig Venter, the super villain, biotechnology super villain, does it? No, it doesn't. But um, that is an interesting thing because you see there's, um, there's a conference apparently been going on in America about artificial human biology. They're going to make an artificial human genome. And, of course he is. And uh, there's like all this sort of secrecy around what they're actually doing. So I'm mm. sure he's tied up in that somewhere. Oh. They're going to make an artificial human out of bits and pieces. <laughs> I'm just waiting for them to... Um, release the new James Bond Bond, and then he can be this James Bond supervillain. Yeah, I reckon yeah. it'll happen. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Shades of uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein yeah. building, <laughs> building humans out of bits and pieces of other humans. I'm also talking about genetics. Oh. Hi, I'm Stu over here. And I'm talking about genetics, but I'm talking about genetics of dogs and what genetics of particular breeds of <gasps> dogs can tell us about why they get trained I think we all this know where is, this is going. This Probably. is one of this is one of my favourite subjects. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, more more on that uh, later. But if you're a dog fan, stay tuned. <laughs> so you might have heard of this metal before, or maybe like me, you might confuse it with another metal, also starting with M, called magnesium. But, in fact, this metal is much more widespread than most people know, and it's actually a component of most steel products and most aluminium cans that you might drink out of. Any not, guesses not for what it is? I, think, I, mean, people, I, don't think, I don't think you're going to get the response from people that you think you're going to get when no. you say the name. Manganese! <laughs> it's, also, it's also an essential plant nutrient. And an essential human micronutrient, Mm. manganese. All right, I might not have got the response. But, I mean, look, when I was learning chemistry, I always did confuse manganese and magnesium. They have the same letters. They both start with M. Yeah, yeah. Manganese, chemical symbols MN. Magnesium is MG. Yeah. But no, look, look, it, yeah, it is exciting. I mean, look, if you if you listen to this and you're driving your car, pull over now because you're probably going to get too worked up and you're not going to be safe to drive. <laughs> Claire is <laughs> talking about manganese. I'm talking all. about manganese. Hold the phones. Yeah. Yep, they are ringing off the hook. Manganese it is. 
What's that? I hear you asking. What is it used for? Let me tell you. Right. So mostly, as in in ninety five percent of the cases, um, most of the globally produced manganese is used to strengthen steel. Yeah, that's right. Most steel that you see in the street, any stainless steel, has been mm-hmm. strengthened with manganese. So, so okay. So not to be confused with magnesium, you said. Yeah. Um, Magnesium is the one that burns when you light it, isn't it? That is correct. Magnesium doesn't. No. Manganese doesn't. Manganese, manganese doesn't. doesn't. Sorry. See, Chris, you yeah. are confused by I the am two. Confused. So, manganese improves the steel by increasing its strength, toughness, hardness, workability, and as you can imagine, if you have a civil engineer designing with different sorts of steel, you want that steel to probably be fairly hard and tough and sturdy. You want your skyscraper to not fall down. So you want to use the man- you want to use the steel with the manganese. Right. Yeah. Um, it also has similar applications when it's alloyed with aluminium. So that's why they use it in aluminium cans. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So that's 95% of manganese. The other 5% is used in batteries, chemical industries, glass making, ceramics, pigments, dyes, oh, you name it, manganese is there. So how much of it is there? In like in, in the, the world. world or in the universe generally? Is it is it common or is it just is it really hard to find? Um, it is fairly common. There's a couple of um, places. There's some in Africa and um, some in Asia, but also a very large manganese mine in Australia. Right. Some, is it, so it's not <clears throat> it's not a precious metal, is it? It isn't a precious metal. There's not a manganese anniversary. However, I mean, however, when you're talking about digging things up out of the ground that yeah. are non-renewable, I I would suggest okay, okay, that you know that that are that are quite necessary for infrastructure in a developing world. Then it's pretty precious. I sit corrected. <laughs> so um, a lot of people might not be aware that Australia is digging a lot of manganese out of the ground on an island just in the east of Arnhem Land. This is Groot Island. Have you guys ah. ever heard of Groot oh, yeah. Island? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, this mine's so big that it accounts for approximately a quarter of the world's manganese. Wow. Yeah. And, I mean, after I just, you know, explained to you how manganese is in pretty much everything, everything, you know, m- worth its weight in manganese. metal. Manganese. <laughs> Then yeah, it's um it's it's pretty impressive. Now as the world continues, yeah, like I say, to improve infrastructure, mm-hmm. we're going to need strong steel for a while yet, especially to improve conditions in developing countries and infrastructure in developing countries. So for a long time, we're going to need to be extracting manganese from rocks that are dug out of the ground. Now the thing about manganese, when you were digging out of the ground, is that a whole lot of manganese is extracted from high-grade ore, high-grade manganese ore, but there's a whole lot of like low to medium-grade manganese ore that isn't really used. They just put it back into the ground. So it's sort of this big waste of time. And mm, of manganese. And of manganese because you can't ex- – it's, it's not sort of efficiently extracted. Is it just too expensive to extract at the moment? Will I it, think – Will it become economically viable to dig it up again? Maybe? Well, that's the sort of situation. I think we're at the point where like the technology is just about to, to catch up the, where these low-grade ores that, that have quite a lot of manganese in them are, on a whole but – it's just not efficient to extract them at the moment. The technology is sort of coming along. And one other thing that is sort of interesting about manganese 
is if you've got a whole lot of manganese lying around in your environment, that it's actually can be quite toxic in high doses. So if you live near a manganese mine, there's a lot of manganese that's come out of the ground. Mm. It's in low levels, but um, it's being put back in the ground. It might come out into the environment. So we know that 15% of unprocessed mining effluents are released into the environment. And we know that manganese in can be detrimental to health. So it can be a neurotoxin and can affect can affect cells. It can be pretty bad if you get manganese poisoning. You said earlier that it was an important nutrient for humans. What does it do in the human body, like for good purposes? Well, what does it do in plants? I mean, I, it's, I mean, it's a major component of some enzymes. So, oh. yeah, so a lot of the enzymes that metabolize things for you, you wouldn't be able to do without manganese. Hmm. Yeah, but I guess like anything in. Um, when you're talking about micronutrients, as soon as you get to a certain level, it becomes quite toxic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so on one hand, we've got this extremely inefficient way of removing the manganese from the rocks. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, we've got um, possible toxicity once we've taken the manganese out of the ground. So then we need to ask the question, well, if we've got these mine sites that have got manganese just lying around, how are we going to keep the environment clean? And one thing that I've stumbled upon in my research of manganese is this thing called bioleaching. Have you guys heard of bioleaching before? It's actually a really efficient um, way to remove metals from rocks. And it's a way that they're investigating getting all these rocks and then using microorganisms pouring them, I guess, pouring, I don't know what you do on an industrial scale, smothering the rocks um, in these microorganisms. And then the microbes are pretty much like feeding on the wasted they rocks. They eat the manganese. They eat the manganese. And, and we do with they, the bacteria. And then they poop it out. Well, they probably <laughs> bind like... it. It probably gets bound and becomes inert or something. They're sort of making soluble these precious metals right. and then making them available without or the rest of the gunk that's in the rocks. Mm. So um, it's this amazing combination of microbiology and metallurgy, which is just sort of mind-blowing because the way that we used to do this is with cyanide. So you can imagine that Mm. the environmental effects of using cyanide instead of something like a mix of microorganisms. Anyway, um, yeah, I just found this a pretty amazing and promising way of maybe increasing manganese going forward and also possibly helping environmental levels of manganese so people don't get manganese poisoning. So we're getting more manganese, but not too much manganese. More manganese for your buck. Okay, you are listening to Lost in Science. And 
Genetically modified organisms, or GMOs, are a thing that is a topic of discussion that people talk about a lot, I guess. Um, people are concerned mm. about their effect, their safety, whether they're good or bad, evil or opposite of evil. Uh, and um, science, obviously, has a big say in this because science created them. Although, <laughs> although uh, as, as we reported a couple of weeks ago, there are plants that exist that we already eat that are naturally GM because there's been bacteria that have passed genes into plants for a couple of hundred years at least. You've kind of spoiled my punchline there, Stu, but uh, yeah, no, that is a good point. Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, no, this is an excellent point. So this is this is um, a recent thing that's been in the news, you might have seen, is a report that was put together by the National Academy of Sciences in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, where basically they decided that they would do their own, try and, as independent as possible, an assessment of all the evidence around genetically modified organisms looking at things like their safety, their health impact, their agriculture, environmental impact, their social and economic, um, the, the kinds of technologies being used, et cetera, et cetera, and trying to get some sort of recommendations. So it's a big 400-page document. I will, I will confess I haven't read the whole thing cover to cover. I've kind of picked through and I've read a lot of commentaries on it and this sort of stuff. But, you know, it is a very long document. 400 um, pages is quite a long document. Yeah, yeah, no. And I've, I'm a busy science radio person obviously <laughs> um so yeah but essentially it was fairly it didn't it was fairly equivocal i guess you could say in many things um when you look at a lot of the stuff they there's necessarily a lot of evidence for all to answer all the questions um definitively but the main takeaway they came to is that there wasn't really a lot of evidence for there wasn't really any evidence for harm from gmos um in terms of either human or environmental or these sort of things, so they didn't come down saying, "Yeah, they should be, they should be stopped." There was anything like that. The kind of thing that they concluded was along the lines of what you were saying, though, Stu, which is that the focus on the technology itself, the the way that we produce new species, new agricultural products, is not where we should be. We should be looking. It's what the actual products are. So we shouldn't mm. just be saying, "Has it been fiddled with?" through genetic engineering or genome editing or CRISPR or whatever like that, we should be asking, is this, is this a new form um, yeah. that may have some unknown consequences? So what they're saying is that. we should look at it on a case-by-case basis. We'll say, here's a product someone wants to bring to market. That's right. What are the effects of this product going yep. to be on an individual case basis yep. and not just say, well, all of the technology from this exactly. way of doing it is bad. or Exactly. Like you that. can't say all GMO is bad. You can't say all GMO is safe. But you can't say all other bread breeding techniques are safe either. Well, I mean, yeah, they used to do things in you know in the mid twentieth centuries. They would zap things with gamma rays to uh, induce genetic mutations, mm-hmm. and then they like would, the Hulk. Well, <laughs> probably that was a bit more fictional than than mm, what was actually mm, going on. Mm, but mm. yeah, you know, crop plants and things they'd zap them with gamma rays yeah. and alter their genome without yeah. really knowing what they were doing. Yeah, um, and then they'd grow them out and see what would happen. So mm. that's it's really no different except this is a bit more targeted, I guess. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And especially as uh, as we learn more about genetics and we get new techniques for doing things, we kind of blur the lines. Like some of the new technology kind of blurs the lines of what we might traditionally have considered genetic engineering and what we might have considered, say, selective breeding and those sort of things. So, yeah, there is certainly... Um, it is a focus then on the actual product itself, what it might do. But certainly, as I said, they didn't find there was any evidence for damage being done, really. 
particularly with, with human health, they looked at, that was quite an interesting part of it where they looked at, say, things like cancer incidents in different countries and over time seeing when the, uh, some of these technologies were brought in and whether there was any um, consequent rise, but then also comparing countries where uh, there is a high use of genetically engineered organisms compared with lesser and seeing that you saw similar changes in levels of, of diseases, um, whether up or down in, in both those countries. So you couldn't really say, no, there's... There's no basically there's no signal in the noise. You can't see there's any effect. There's not even a correlation between. No, there isn't. I mean, well, that's the thing. There's generally they would say that there's no correlation. Things didn't rise when you would expect them to. If there was um the organisms calling it, they saw it, did, did see a rise. Uh, and this is in the context of basically, though I should say, mortality for cancers has overall decreased. Mm-hmm. Um, the only rises they've seen have been things like from lung cancer, like smoking related. Um, diseases. Uh, any effects um, can be put down to other causes because they happen in countries where you don't have genetically engineered organisms as well. So yeah, there wasn't any effects there. Similarly, they couldn't find any evidence for really any evidence for um, environmental harm. Uh, they did point out how you know if it's a lot of this will depend on how well things are used. So if there is then over-intensive use or overuse of pesticides as a result of having uh, or herbicides as a result of having herbicide-resistant plants, then that can cause harm. Mm. Um, but that's more like the responsible use of the actual associated technologies, I guess, as well as just, you know, the actual, again, the actual existence of the technology itself. There was a comment about monarch butterflies. Apparently there's been a big drop in monarch butterflies in the United States and they couldn't find that, they couldn't demonst- they couldn't find research proving that that was due to uh, use of pesticides or anything like that. Um, but it sounds like they suspected they may have been due to some of these technologies out there. And the reason that they're specifically targeting pesticide resistance is that one of the major genetically modified crops is this BT or Bacillus thuringiensis yep, that's ready yep. crop. So it's a um, bacterial gene. It's a gene from bacteria, from the, the, the bacteria Bacillus thuringiensis, yep. which is commonly used as a deterrent for only specifically for moths and butterfly species. So the larvae of moths and butterfly species have alkaline guts. So when they eat this bacteria, that disrupts their digestive process and it kills the caterpillars. Mm -hmm. Um, So it only affects those species of uh, Lepidoptera. Mm. And, yeah, so it's widely used as the bacteria, you can shake it up in a bottle and spray it spray on your plants, it on your and it's organically recognised. You can, you can, um, you can just buy it. Yeah, and, and you know, if we eat it, it has no effect on us, yeah. which is why it's a really useful. Doesn't affect any other kinds of insects, so it doesn't Biological affect bees control. or anything like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, this is the, they actually modified the plants to produce the produce same toxin yeah. in the plant, and that I think is what's possibly causing some of the problems. And, and, the and that's, I yeah. guess, why they're studying um, monarch butterflies specifically because they're in the Lepidoptera family, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, there was also a big drop in their population observed in 2015, and right, so that's okay. why they're studying them specifically as well to see if there's a connection there. Mm. As I said, they couldn't demonstrate that it, there was a definite connection, but it sounded like they were suspicious that there still is a connection there. So there possibly are some harms from that kind of – that. that particular example. Um, the other interesting, I guess, one was regarding given the social and economic impacts of it. And this is something that caused a lot of people concerned about the big evil corporations, you know, big agriculture, do we call it? <laughs> we big could GMO. call it big farmer. Big farmer. No, that, that uh, hey. uh... Well, it's funny because it is to do with um, big, big farmers, effectively. Mm. Um, they found that 
there have been obviously benefits for for some farmers. Hasn't actually one of the things I found that that the use of genetically modified organisms hasn't increased yields markedly, except where in cases that there was say a lot of pests involved and and they've managed to get the impact of pests, but that hasn't led to huge increases in in yields. But yeah, certainly some farmers have benefited from the use of them, mostly the larger operations, and that smaller farmers tend not to do so well out of things like you're having to buy seeds and, and those sort of things. So there is some sort of skewed effect there. One of the things I did read recently in in relation to this was that people saying, oh, yeah, it's big corporations who do all of the GM work. And someone suggested, well, maybe that's because big corporations are the ones who have the the money and the legal teams and all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the setup to be able to get these things registered and approved for yep. use, which is, you know, that's, that's a pretty valid um, argument and certainly has to be considered is that maybe smaller, um, smaller companies could make this stuff, but they don't have the, the ability to get them to market yep. in any useful way. So they may sell their technology to a bigger company who right. might end up doing that anyway. Well, I point out that with, um, say, specialty crops in particular, that they don't tend benefit from this because your, your big corporations are not investing money in stuff on um, specialty crops, crops. So saying there may be a role for government or public bodies to do research in those areas and trying to sort of spread the benefits of the technology if it, if it is going to be possible there. But yeah, a lot of this stuff comes down to how do you legislate to make sure that and, and support smaller farmers so that they get some they, they can get some benefit from it as well. Mm. So there you go. That is your um, new report and you sort of um, drop in the ocean of the arguments on GMOs. People have chosen to interpret it however they want, I suppose, but you can read it yourself and interpret it yourself. We'll put the link up on our website so you can have a bit of a read of that 400 pages and then you can tell me what you found. You are listening to Lost in Science, and have you ever wondered why assistance dogs like guide dogs for the sight impaired are so often Labrador retrievers? Yes. I actually learned this at university. But really? Yes, yes. Um, I, had a, um, I had a sniffer dog come see us at university, and um, they explained. They explained what breed it. of dog was the sniffer dog? It was a Labrador. It was a Labrador retriever. But they yeah. also use beagles for that, don't they, at the um, airports and I things? think, well, the beagles are normally the fruit dogs. Ah. And then the Labrador retrievers are the... Um, drug yeah, dogs? Drug, drug sniffers. Dogs, drug right. sniffers, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so... Labrador Retrievers, friendly dogs, they were originally bred as hunting dogs and they were selected for their ability to retrieve hunted game without damaging it. Mm. So they have this soft mouth. Oh, soft mouth. Oh, yeah, so yeah. They, they can yeah. pick up a you know dead bird or a dead rabbit without squishing it. Oh, in just their, hold it in their mouth. Just hold it in their mouth and bring it back to uh, whoever shot it with their gun. Um, mm. But so why would a dog bred for hunting be a good companion dog for sight or hearing impaired people? Because hunting seems like quite a different task from being an assistance animal, which is, you know, taking people around. Mm -hmm. But some new research about the genetics of dogs suggests it may have a lot to do with a genetic anomaly of the Labrador and the methods used for training assistance animals. So in a study published in Cell Metabolism, researchers from the United Kingdom found a specific gene in Labrador Retrievers, was more often switched off than in other breeds of dogs. So Labrador Retrievers are one of the most popular domestic dog breeds, but they also top the charts in the US, in the UK, and Australia for obesity amongst dogs. Mm, fat labs. 
Yeah, so such a trait can find within a particular breed suggested that there is likely to be a genetic component to that characteristic. So they started looking for genes similar to some genes linked to obesity in humans. And they found a particular gene called POMC was more likely to be faulty in the Labrador retrievers than in other dogs, so it didn't actually function. Now, this is important because the POMC gene is responsible for letting the dog know when he's had enough to eat. Oh, dear. Yes. So... When it isn't working properly, the dogs just keep on eating and yeah. eating and eating and mm. eating. Mm. Problematic. Very problematic. Not all Labradors have a soft mouth. <laughs> well, maybe it's that they can get more in their soft yeah, mouth maybe, and maybe, they just yeah. keep yeah. swallowing it all. So they found that the gene fault was present in about 76% of the assistance dogs tested. Wow. Labrador retriever mm. assistance dogs compared to only 23% in the general population of Labrador Retrievers. Wow. So the greedier your dog, the more trainable it is? Is that what you're saying? That is mm. basically what they thought. They It was suggested that uh, it was indicative of a selection process for assistant dogs, that it favours dogs with the faulty gene, and they're more successful with the training because much of the training is done using food as a reward. Treaties. Yeah, so you get a little treat when you do the right thing Mm. and the dogs who stay hungry keep doing the things and keep doing the training and keep repeating the exercises because they're still hungry and they still want more treats, whereas some of the other dogs would go, yeah, no, I've had enough treats. I'm not going to do what you want me to do anymore. So they they basically drop out of of puppy school. They basically just turn into cats then. (laughs) Or they just just fail because not every every dog (laughs) at, at puppy training gets... Gets to graduate, he doesn't. <laughs> they don't all get the little mortarboards and graduate at the end. No, so Labradors are genetically predisposed to have this fault, and they're more likely to seek extra food than other breeds of dogs. And some of them are more likely than uh, the other Labradors to even do that further. Um, this is, this, you're saying this is what lab tests have shown. <laughs> got the lab, lab test, report. Lab, got the lab report right there, haven't you? I've got the lab report right in front of me on yeah. these lab tests, and that's what they found. Yeah. Um, of course, as a result, they need a lot of exercise, and they're really large dogs, so they need you know a couple of hours running around every day mm. um, in order to avoid developing weight problems, which they still can do. You don't see fat guide dogs normally, do you? Well, no, but I guess that's because they get they're walking a lot more exercise. Yeah. They're yeah. walking around with people mm. all day. Um, but yeah, they, they also did note that the gene was first identified in humans and it has been found in mice, but the form that's in mice is in a modified form, which means that it doesn't actually work the same way as it works mm. in humans. But And they're too small for assistance you can't, animals. You can't use them for yeah. assistance animals. Yeah. Maybe if you had several of them... Mm. On, on strings or something. The version in dogs is more closely allied with the human version, so they think they can actually okay. figure out how it works in humans by studying how it works in dogs as well. Right. So it's got wider tests than just the, uh, the lab tests. Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science.
That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook uh, and if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost, lost in science. science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.